Hello, and welcome to the Quadcast, brought to you by the Mary Christie Foundation, a thought leadership organization dedicated to the behavioral health and well-being of teens and young adults. We have a particular focus on college students. I'm Marjorie Malpedi, the executive director of the Mary Christie Foundation and the host of the Quadcast. Hello, and welcome to the Quadcast. I'm Dana Humphrey, associate director of the Mary Christie Foundation, filling in for Marjorie Malpedi. Our topic today is student-led innovation and advocacy around mental health. We are joined by Laura Horn, Chief Program Officer for Active Minds, and our first actual college students to come on the quadcast, Raisa Alam, Senior Advisor at the Columbia University Chapter of Active Minds, and Kama Sharma, Active Minds President at the University of Pittsburgh. For those that don't know, Active Minds is a nonprofit that supports mental health awareness, education, and advocacy. Laura, thanks so much for being with us today. In the fall, Active Minds launched the Your Voice is Your Power campaign. What's that initiative all about? Sure. Well, first of all, thank you so much, Dana, for having us and talk about this issue, which we're all really, really passionate about and is more important than ever. When COVID-19 hit, Active Minds, like any other organization, was kind of faced with this question of what do we do during this time? You know, so much of what Active Minds does is about student-led programming and policy advocacy on campuses nationwide. And so with so many campuses closing in the spring or going through a hybrid model, we really had to think deeply as a team about what our students needed from us and what could be helpful to campuses during this time. And on top of that, we started to see a lot of protests and heightened awareness around racism, structural racism in our country. And so we started to get really concerned that amid all the challenges that student mental health might be sidelined as a very important and yet not as urgent of an issue as maybe some of the financial strains that campuses were experiencing or the rush to support remote learning in whatever way they could. And then also that students could be left out of the decision making as a result of all of those constraints. So we put our heads together and we decided, you know, one thing that can be done regardless of where you are is to advocate for policy change. And that the number one thing that all of us really need right now, but especially campuses, is to hear from students about what would really make a difference for them. So we ended up putting together a campaign that mobilizes youth around four key policy changes really intended to support BIPOC student mental health in particular. That's great. What were the policy changes that students mobilized around? Well, in putting the campaign together, we we really wanted to walk a delicate balance between giving students the freedom to iterate on our ideas and also to adjust them for whatever is the best fit for their unique campuses, their campus, and then also give them enough direction so that they would know where to start. So we chose four focus areas. We wanted to support BIPOC student mental health in the counseling center, in the classroom, in conversation, and in the strategic plan. So, you know, when we're talking about what can happen in the counseling center. We, we directed our students to advocate for innovation in mental health services, including telehealth or virtual support groups or drop-in hours with counselors. We asked them to take a look at the classroom and what faculty could do in terms of providing mental health resources on their course syllabi and mentioning resources 
resources and normalizing them in communication with students. We asked our students to think about implicit bias and what can come up in conversation when we don't have appropriate cultural competency training and making sure that our campus is providing that kind of training for faculty, staff, and students. And then finally, in the strategic plan, just ensuring that both mental health and equity are addressed in the strategic plan. And overall, we saw that 95% of our 550 chapters reported participating in the campaign, which is really high and encouraging. And to us, it said we really were providing something that students needed and were excited about. And it was possible even during COVID. And together, we completed 89 policy changes in a single semester. And that work continues. Many of our students indicated that they have campaigns in progress that will continue into the spring. That's amazing. Not- Not only that you had such a high participation rate, but also the wide focus that this initiative had, it really touches every aspect of campus life. And we know that that is really what is so important for change on campuses. Definitely. I know that you are a champion for student-led innovation and advocacy. Shameless plug here, you spoke about it last year in the Mary Christie Quarterly. Why do you think grassroots innovation is so important? Right. Well, really three reasons come to mind. Number one is that the rise of mental health issues among young adults that we're seeing right now is very real. And it's a national issue. It's also a global health issue. And to truly tackle this problem, I really strongly believe that we're going to need new, innovative, radical solutions. Our training and our education and our experiences from the past are valuable, but they just aren't going to be sufficient on their own. We really need today's youth to help us think outside of the box if we're going to tackle a problem this big. So it's not just the respectful thing to do, but it's also the most strategic thing for us to do, which is involving youth in solution creation. Two, it's just really good public health practice. If you take any public health issue, the number one rule that we're taught as public health practitioners is that you don't act on a community, you meaningfully partner with them. And there's a saying called nothing about us without us, which is really special and important to many unique communities. And we really believe that is if you want to come up with solutions that truly work and are sustainable, You have to involve the community that is most impacted. And then finally, you know, the future, it belongs to us, but it also belongs to our youth and even more so, right? And often youth are portrayed as weak or maybe shallow or self-involved or somehow not as good or have it all together as previous generations. But our data, and I, I know a lot of other data sets out there show that today's youth are actually incredibly resilient. The majority of youth are actually increasing their resiliency even through this pandemic. So part of supporting our youth, whether as we're parents or as educators or as practitioners, is to see them as equal partners and empower them as co-creators with us. Thanks, Laura. I could not agree more. And with that in mind, we'll shift over to our college students. Kama, one of your chapter's focus areas was partnering with the University of Pittsburgh Counseling Center to increase student engagement. Can you tell us about that? What does it mean? And how did your chapter decide to pursue that effort? Yeah, so we started our Rocky Minds chapter along with other mental health groups on campus, started the Mental Health Student Coalition, whose main goal is to have liaisons in each student organization who will be trained in university counseling center policies and also in 
you know, proper ways to discuss mental health so that they're able to support their club members and redirect them to appropriate resources, while also encouraging them to host mental health events to expand the discussion of mental health in, you know, various contexts, whether it be cultural or professional. And so how we went around to decide on taking this effort, the story starts around spring 2020. I was actually abroad in Paris. So this story involves our former president and also our current VP. And so around that time, there was a leadership change within the University Counseling Center, and we had a new director step in. So our former president and current VP went ahead to see if they could make a connection with the UCC uh, with the new director and met with him. And alongside uh, the president of NAMI came along. And the three of them together noticed that there was a large lack of a peer presence within the counseling center. And alongside that, no one really knew how to use the counseling center, you know, how to go about accessing the services, not even the mental health advocates. So seeing that alongside with our VP, seeing that the benefit of having a mental health chair in one of our other clubs, they thought of the idea of the mental health student coalition. And then come summertime, when I come back from my semester abroad, we also brought in some other student leaders from the wellness chair from SGB and also Oakland Outreach. And so us as a big group, all together had a lot of different experiences, upbringings, and we're from different communities. So we also started seeing issues rise up that intersected with mental health, such as race, gender, and sexuality. Different communities discuss mental health in very different ways. So we saw a need there to also encourage the discussions of mental health within the smaller student organizations that weren't just mental health focused. And I can actually comment on this a bit because our Active Minds chapter has been trying to address this as just a chapter in a general way for about a year or so. We have peer educations in which we educate other club members, other students about, you know, what is therapy, self-care, coping mechanisms. And we were trying to expand that to more situations such as how do you talk to your parents about mental health and such that. But there are so many factors that influence that, that each student will have a different experience regarding how they talk to their parents about mental health or how they even talk talk to their close-knit circles about mental health. So seeing that, we added on with the goal of spreading the resources available to students and also the knowledge of how to access the resources. We added the goal of also having these discussions of mental health just expand and like you know, go as broad as they can or even as specific as they can. And so that's our story. That's so great. And that's really encouraging. How many clubs were you able to work with at your school? So at the moment... Because last semester was our first semester launching, we had a smaller group of about six-ish to join the Mental Health Student Coalition. And we're looking to expand this with this semester, but more so with the semester after. There have been some barriers that we encountered in launching and COVID contributed to this, but also just figuring out the organization of the coalition that kind of delayed the actual launch of the liaisons, giving them the trainings and whatnot. So... We are hoping we have quite a large roster. I want to say like about 15 at least organizations on that roster who are also pretty big on our campus. So hopefully with this next summer coming in with new leadership coming in, we'll be able to contact them, give them the appropriate training and have this launch with like full-fledged functioning. That's great. That's so exciting. Raisa, your chapter at Columbia distributed the Active Minds Faculty Guide for Supporting Student Mental Health to some of Columbia's academic department chairs, who then agreed to share the guide with their faculty. How did your chapter decide on faculty as an important audience for this information, and how did you land on this strategy? 
During the COVID-19 pandemic, since Columbia went completely virtual, there has been a lot of challenges that students have been facing with their academics and Zoom learning. And because of that, there was more rise of mental health challenges and seeking out counseling and support. But I thought the main issue was how faculty can best support students during this time. And so when I learned about the faculty guide during the student advisory committee orientation, I thought this was a great tool to give faculty at my university information about mental health and tools like the VARS validate, appreciate, refer, so they could be able to better support students who are facing challenges with mental health and perhaps later make it more aware that there's an increasing need for faculty to get mental health training so they can better have those conversations with students. And some things that we did during distributing the faculty guide was we had a conversation why it was important and providing them the Columbia-specific resources like Counseling Center, their contact information, so the faculty had it for their convenience so they could give it to students who need that sort of support especially first years. And I think this is a really important initiative because students who are learning virtually right now, they may not be aware of these resources or these ways to start a conversation. So so often it has to be the faculty that can help support them during this time and be able to provide that validation, appreciation, and referral to resources. Yeah, that's so important. And it's something we focus on a lot at the Mary Christie Foundation, because faculty are like the first line of defense with students. They are really the only ones seeing students at some schools, seeing them face-to-face every single week with the shutdown and everything. Faculty are always important gatekeepers for mental well-being, but even more so during the COVID pandemic. 2020 was a tough year all around. I'm sure that the pandemic altered how your chapter would normally operate. What were some of the challenges that you faced implementing the initiative that you chose, and it's either COVID-related or completely unrelated to COVID? That's a really good question. One challenge I face is sometimes you don't get any response from faculty members when you do email them about these initiatives, which I think can be a little discouraging, especially when you're trying to promote well-being and mental health advocacy on campus. And I, I think that challenge sort of stems from Sometimes faculty feel overwhelmed with a lot of things that are going on, and they may not be able to have the capacity to be able to support such initiatives. But I think being persistent and continuing that consistent communication and follow up with them is really important to kind of push forward such initiatives, especially trainings for faculty for mental health, as well as diversity, equity, inclusion. And I think right now, it's really important that we have such conversations with faculty and such trainings for them so that in the future, they can be better able to support students who are in need and to prevent future circumstances of implicit bias or feelings that are hurt. And I, so that's why I really emphasize how the student piece is super important for driving these policies forward, regardless of the challenges such as lack of response or favor towards them. 
Yeah, definitely. Getting buy-in, I think, is a really common challenge, especially with faculty and mental health. Feelings about it probably run the gamut, but some faculty, I think, feel nervous about helping and saying the wrong thing or are concerned that they don't really know about the available resources. So I totally agree. I think training is really important. MCF is actually working on a survey that's in the field right now on what faculty feel their role is with student mental health and how empowered or not they feel to identify students in need and help them get referrals to the counseling center or other kinds of support. So totally on the same page, I think it's such an important aspect to focus on. Kama, I know you mentioned some of the challenges that you faced. I'm wondering, did you face similar issues with getting buy-in from different groups on your campus, or were there any other COVID issues that came up? So we also saw some difficulties with faculty respond to our emails. A lot of our work in the past semester has been primarily with administration for just setting up the coalition and the behind the scenes connections needed, you know, with the counseling center, with our student government board, but also with like the student portals that are involved with student organizations. So there was a lot of delays with just having emails go back and forth, which kind of contributed to the delay of our launch. With COVID, of course, there was a lot less engagement than we would have expected had we been an in-person semester. And that's something that we're consistently seeing right now, too, with like the first two weeks of the semester that have begun. Alongside that, one issue that we did see is that there seems to be a generational difference between the administrators that we work with and us student leaders working with them. And I mentioned that more or less in noticing what they think the student body needs, what they perceive would be the best way to market to students, and how they think us as students, like what we see as mental health, like what is mental health to us. So that perception is just a bit warped. And so in the past semester, we were actually been working on this since last summer into the last semester into now. So over that period of time, we've been working very hard at bridging the gap between, you know, who we actually are and what we actually see mental health as with what they see us to be. And that's all understandable because you have a room of administrators from very different generations. And, you know, there have been many changes in like the needs for mental health care over the years. So like everyone's going to have a different perception of like, you know, what mental health care needs to look like. And so just trying to get everyone on the same page has been difficult, or at least that's a skill that we've had to learn. And I can give an example with that, actually. Unfortunately, there were a few suicides on our campus last semester and the response from administration was not sufficient to the point that students were actually reaching out to other students for support and like know what's going on. And so we stood our ground and we're like, hey, this is not enough. We need you to reach out more, send more resources, show more support to the students in such a time, especially given that it is COVID. And so in doing that with some other instances of just standing our ground with the administrators in the room, we kind of gained the confidence and also figured out the skills needed to talk respectfully and like, you know, respectfully bring awareness to, you know, what isn't working um, from the administrators end and what they could do better to help us out. And all of that has kind of empowered us. And so going into the semester, we hope that we'll be able to navigate a lot better so that we can provide better student feedback and, you know, get the most out of this coalition within its starting stages. Yeah. 
communication is always a difficult challenge and made even more difficult when you can't sit down in a room together and all see each other's faces without masks on or knock on someone's door and ask them why they aren't responding to your email. Yeah. Laura, you had chapters working on all these efforts all over the country this fall at all different types of institutions. Were the barriers that Risa and Kama encountered some that you heard about a lot or were they different at each school? Definitely. I mean, although we we saw a lot of interest and participation in the campaign and will continue to do so through this spring, we tell our students all the time that policy change is not a sprint. It's a marathon. And that's the difficult thing is that we all want to advocate for something and be able to see it come into fruition. And just, you know, often that's just not possible. Often we are planting the seeds, we're building relationships, and maybe the students who come after us will be able to take it up and and see some success with it. So, um, you know, often it's about persistence and um, relationship building. And of course, it's really difficult to build relationships during a pandemic if you're not able to sit in person with each other. And so we had to do a lot of strategizing with many of our students in trying to find ways to use all the resources and relationships that we have available to us and and to uh, approach it as relationship building and as helpful to our administrators at a time when many of them were very, very aware of student mental health issues. And we just want to help them know from students what would be really meaningful to them, which would make what would make them a big difference for them and what would say to them that the university does really care about and prioritize their mental health. Yeah, definitely. We know that college presidents care about this issue. And we've seen their concern about student mental health rise over the course of the pandemic. That is American Council on Education data found that. So it's definitely not a matter of not being concerned or not thinking about it. It's just the way, I guess, the way they're thinking about it. Absolutely. And, and that's a bridge we're constantly trying to build is knowing that student mental health is on the minds of many university presidents. And yet there are many students who want to see more change. How can we identify solutions that would really make a difference to the students and would help show and demonstrate that mental health is a priority? And what is your advice for university administrators who are being confronted with this new normal of grassroots advocacy? Well, I think, you know, for starters, I would say that interest from students in change is always an opportunity, never a threat. It's a good thing. And Partnering with students to make a difference in the world and in our communities is what higher education is all about. And so this kind of advocacy is not a problem or a distraction from our mission. It really is part of the mission. And it's also a partnership. And like any valuable partnership, it's going to require an investment. I remember at one point when I was presenting about this, an administrator in the room you know, brought up an example of a time when students were advocating for buses to take students to off-campus counseling resources and how just ridiculous that was because, of course, the university doesn't have the funds to arrange for that type of transportation every day. And you know, what I really encourage that administrator to do and what I often say to many administrators is that it's a partnership. So each side of this partnership brings something to the table. And it's very valuable information to hear from our students. Something like transportation to off-campus resources is 
difficult and problematic. And without it, I would be less likely to get the care that I need. They may not have all the answers or know exactly what might be feasible, but that doesn't mean that there isn't something there to learn from our students. And that doesn't mean that it's a waste of time to engage them in, in, in finding solutions. And just going back to my earlier remarks, we're at a time where we just cannot afford to be complacent about the mental health issues among youth that we're up against. It's urgent. In my opinion, it's, it's not really the time to debate what tools are better than others or what frameworks are better than others. We're going to need all of the tools, all of the frameworks. We're going to need all of the manpower, including students. So if you have students who care enough and feel safe enough at your institution to speak up and to volunteer and to ask for the change that they want to see, that's a wonderful, wonderful thing that is a resource to us that's advantageous. So let's embrace that and engage those students right away because we need every person on board, especially students, if we're going to turn the tide on this problem. Totally. I completely agree. Raisa and Kama, I want to give you a last minute or two to talk about any other programs that you or your chapter are pursuing this next semester or just any last comments you have. Raisa, why don't you go first? So one program that I have been working on along with student government and the COVID-19 student task force is promoting mental health and diversity, equity, inclusion trainings for faculty which is really important so that they have the training and the knowledge available to better support students. I think in the past, students have felt invalidated in certain classroom spaces by faculty. So this training would be really crucial and important for student well-being. Currently, my university does have inclusion and bias intervention trainings that are available to the public, but they do not have mental health trainings that are like mandatory for faculty. So I think that's like a really important piece to push for because some faculty are getting these trainings, but others are not. Another project that I'm working on with other folks is called the Black Undergraduate Mentorship Program, which is a program that is meant to combat the social injustice that happen in the STEM field toward Black undergraduate students by providing them mentorship and support and resources to help them through their academic trajectory at at Columbia. So this program is really something we started last semester to provide support for the students who are most affected by certain barriers that exist at my institution. So important. And we definitely believe at the Mary Christie Foundation that equity and inclusion is an important part of well-being. So we're so happy to hear that you are undertaking that effort. Kama, how about you? Any last thoughts, comments, or new programs that you are pursuing in the spring semester? Yeah. So with the Mental Student Coalition, we were working to expand our outreach um, in various sectors of mental health with other student organizations. And within our chapter, we're doing something similar. I'm very thankful to have a very diverse and hardworking board. And with their help, we've been able to branch out and introduce new topics and just keep discussions very diverse within our meetings. So we have guided discussions that are now part of our regular meeting times in which members or just board members can come in and present 10 to 15 minutes about any topic relating to mental health. Could be 
we had a discussion about philosophy and mental health. And so just to get everyone on the same page and then the rest of the meeting is just all of us discussing that, you know, relating to it as much as we can, asking questions, challenging things. And that's just to give like lighthearted spaces in which our members can just come in and participate because with COVID, one of the things we've noticed is that one of the reasons why engagement has dropped is that people just don't want to engage more with Zoom or spend more energy online. So as lighthearted as we can make it, we're doing our best to do so. And other efforts that kind of relate to that is we're trying to do social events to give more spaces like this to our members. And our fundraising chair has actually collaborated with Pitt Outreach to organize a game night in which we're going to talk about toxicity in gaming spaces. So we're expanding our outreach that way. And then we have our outreach co-chair who has been working very hard on a mental health hackathon, which will happen this March. And the goal of this event is to combat the stigma within engineering spaces. There is very rampant and like strong stigma against mental health within engineering classes, schools, and clubs. And so we hope by, you know, providing statistics, awareness, and also various methods of self-care, we have Pit Meditation Club coming in to help do some guided discussion sessions. We hope that these efforts will break through some of the stigma. If not, then at least have the students that attend the mental health hackathon be more open to taking care of themselves because hackathons can be very stressful. I've never done a hackathon before, but according to our co-chair, she says that like, you know, you don't really eat or sleep. You're just working for the entire weekend, which sounds incredibly stressful. So we're doing our best in those spaces. And then we're also trying to see if we can contact some teachers who would be able to talk about mental health in niche ways, just to give more opportunities to our members to engage with these discussions and learn more from like the comfort of their rooms or wherever they may be. Yeah, that's so exciting. And you'll have to keep us posted on how those initiatives go. Thank you all for being here. Thank you, Laura, for your continued excellent work in this area. And thank you, Raisa and Kama, for being our first ever college students on the quadcast. I am really looking forward to seeing what you guys do next. Thank you, Dana. Thanks so much for having us. Thank you. Thanks for having us. This has been the quadcast, a production of the Mary Christie Foundation. For more information about the foundation, visit us online at marychristiefoundation.org. While you're there, please check out our other products, the quarterly and the MC feed. You can subscribe to the quadcast on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. While you're there, leave us a rating or review. It really helps us out. I'm your host, Dana Humphrey. Thanks for listening.